the most important book in the English language, aside from the Bible, written by Puritan preacher John Bunyan in the 17th century, and it's never gone out of print. I'm talking about Pilgrim's Progress. But did you know this classic Christian allegory has a sequel? I'm Charles Morris, and welcome to the Great Stories Podcast. And on this episode, I want you to join me in Bedford, England, where John Bunyan grew up, where he preached, and where he even spent time in jail. It's also the setting for the images that he would have drawn upon when he wrote about Vanity Fair or the Palace Beautiful in Pilgrim's Progress. On this episode, Tyler Van Haltren is joining me on the program to talk about why Bunyan's work is so significant. Tyler is the author of Little Pilgrim's Big Journey, an adaptation of Pilgrim's Progress in two volumes. Volume one, based on the classic we all know so well, while volume two covers the little known sequel that delved even deeper into the spiritual truths of John Bunyan's magnum opus. And if you want to see some of these places we visited around the town of Bedford, including the oak tree John Bunyan preached under because he wasn't allowed to preach in a church building, you can watch that at haventoday.org. While you're there, why not make a gift of support to Haven Ministries and request your own copy of Little Pilgrim's Big Journey, the two-volume set in a nicely done slipcase. More on that later, but for now, let's travel to the English countryside where it all began. Welcome to Haven Today, and we are coming to you from England, the home of John Bunyan. Now, he's been gone several hundred years, but my friend Tyler Van Haltren from Canada is with me. He is the author of Parts 1 and 2 of Little Pilgrim, Big Journey. We've had you on before. We had you on before last Christmas. Welcome to Haven Today. Thank you, Charles. It's been a joy to, to be on this program and to be with you in England the past few days. Well, we have been following in the footsteps of John Bunyan. Let me just ask you, first of all, what I asked you by the River Ouse, which is where he was put in prison, where he pastored, where he lived most of his life. Who in the world was John Bunyan? Many, many people know of John Bunyan from The Pilgrim's Progress, which is a masterpiece of English literature, but they don't know just how unlikely it was for someone like John Bunyan to have written this book. And in fact, in, in his life, many people, uh, many of his opponents said they claimed he didn't write it and he had to defend himself. Why would they claim he couldn't have written this? He was a, a tinker's son, which is a man who fixes pots and pans, essentially goes from door to door fixing pot and pans. And he had a very basic education. And he was a tinker himself. He had to travel throughout Bedfordshire, the area he lived, from door to door, fixing pots and pans, carrying on his back a 60-pound anvil, a heavy burden. And his opponents thought, how could this uneducated tinker have written such an eloquent piece of literature? And if anybody has read Pilgrim's Progress, hopefully a revised version or hopefully your adaptation that you have put out and we have offered and are offering again for Christmas, an anvil, most people probably today don't even know what an anvil is. I know children wouldn't know what an anvil is. You and I saw his anvil and I was thinking, how could a smallish man carry that thing 
you know, five miles, 10 miles between villages and, and from farm to farm fixing things. Anyway, you can, can describe for us what an anvil is that he would have used to be a tinker and work with 10 pots, 10 pans. That's what they had to eat and drink from back then. Yeah, it looked like a, a large metal cylinder almost, just solid metal that was probably about three feet high and one foot wide or, or a rough, roughly that. And he would use that as sort of his mobile workstation to hit pots and pans and blend different pieces of metal back into the, the tin pots. So he had a lot of time on his hands walking from farm to farm, walking from village to village. I think the Lord used that. Now, let's let's just, you've told us a little of his story, but of course, something happened when he turned about, I think it was 25 years old. Yeah, John Bunyan would walk from town to town, and he had a very vivid imagination. And he also, many things were weighing on him. His His sin was weighing heavily on him, and he went between seeking his sin, chasing after his sin full force, and then deeply regretting that and feeling that God's wrath was coming on him. So much so that there were times he felt that a, a church tower may fall on him or a bell tower may fall on him. But as he walked, he found he heard four women talking about the gospel and their ability to speak about religion intrigued him. He had started to become a religious man, but he didn't know anything of the grace of God. And so they introduced him to a pastor named John Gifford, who explained to him the gospel and his eyes were open. The burden fell from his back. And he still had the anvil. But he, but he did become a preacher then, didn't he? Yes. Yeah, he later on, so John Gifford pastored this small congregationalist church in Bedford for five years. John Gifford died and John Bunyan was in prison for these 12 years. And after that, he was appointed as the preacher of that church. You just said he was put in prison. Of course, anyone that heard you last year knows the story or has read Pilgrim's Progress or a biography of John Bunyan. Let's, let's, let's talk about that. This is England. We're in it today. There's freedom of religion here today, whether you're Christian or Muslim or whatever you might be. But it wasn't so free back then in the day of John Bunyan. The political situation in the day was very unstable, and the king did not want people meeting under unordained preachers, preachers outside of the Church of England. So religion was restricted to within the church. And so someone like Bunyan, it became illegal for him to be out preaching, but he felt he could not go against his conscience. He could not stop preaching. And so they would gather in different homes, in different fields, all over. Under an oak tree that you and I walked to a couple of days ago even, but it's a dead oak tree today, but it was a very alive oak tree back then in the 1600s. Yeah, you can picture all these people sneaking out to go hear John Bunyan buy this massive old oak tree and hearing it, which is known to this day as Bunyan's Oak. And so through preaching that, he was caught, he was arrested, and when they questioned him, they said, if you do not refuse to preach, if you will not stop preaching, we will put you in jail. And he said, I will stay in jail until the moss grows on my eyelids rather than disobey God. So his life changed when he was in his mid-20s. He spent time in prison, jail. But God used these moments not to just change his life, not just to call him to be a pastor of a church, but 
Well, you started out by telling us about this. Let's talk a little bit more about something came out of this time in the Bedford Jail, the Bedford Prison, which was right where we've been on the Ooze River. He spent 12 years in that prison, two six-year sentences, both of which at any point he could have said, I will stop preaching, and they would have freed him. But as he stayed there near the end of that time, he started to write an allegory, first in little snippets, first as reflections of the idea of the Christian life as a journey towards heaven, and writing a book called The Heavenly Footman, and then leading to a full-blown adventure novel instilled with theological truth called The Pilgrim's Progress. I know you've been to seminary. I know you've taught at a Bible college in Cambodia as a missionary allegory. Define that for us, please, Tyler. Yeah, an allegory is a, a story with a spiritual meaning. And so John Bunyan was, was one of the forefathers of this. He's one of the first examples of this in English literature, where someone's using a, a story to teach spiritual truths. And of course, we would know C.S. Lewis and uh, J.R.R. Tolkien. They wrote allegories. We've talked about that and their stories many times on the air. Same, same thing, I guess, right? Yes. And John Bunyan used these as a, a chance to convey deep theological truth. So people are walking down the path in Pilgrim's Progress and they begin an intense dialogue about truth. And some of them helping Christian along his journey, and some of them hurting or deceiving Christian as he travels. And that, that was his main character in the first book that you adapted. It's obviously written in older English. I tried reading it to my kids when they were young, and I quickly gave up the original edition and I found a newer version. But you've, you've done even more than that. You have told two stories. There's part one, part two, which is now available. We have both in a beautiful, lovely slipcase. Children are going to love this with illustrations. Adults will too, but tell us about what's the story in part one, but then what's the story in part two that are going to affect me as well as children spiritually. Initially, John Bunyan was uncertain whether to publish part one, even in the beginning, because it was such a new form of a story, this allegory idea. But he became convinced, I'll put it out there and see what happens. And instantly, it was a bestseller in that day, and they ran out of the first print run, and they did a second and a third print run, and word began to spread and people started to wonder what happens to Christian's wife and his family? What happens to them? So some people actually started to write ideas of what could have happened. And I think also Bunyan would have heard feedback from part one and wanted to convey some new ideas. So he brought the story of Christiana, who uh, was Christian's wife in the original and in this children's version is part of Christian's family along with his, his brothers, his Christian sister. And they go on the journey to the celestial city. And Bunyan used that story to, in some ways, balance out part one and to help uh, clarify some ideas. I know something that you and I heard just the other day that somebody was telling us that after the Bible, for three centuries or whatever, Pilgrim's Progress has been the best-selling piece of literature or book out there. Now we've heard Harry Potter has surpassed, which is rather sad. But I think this is an amazing way for adults to benefit, but for children to appreciate 
in a in a story form what the gospel's really about. Don't you think that? Yes, it's been such a powerful thing to see these families and the way they're reacting and saying for example, family devotions used to be was so difficult. I had it was so hard to get our kids to pay attention, but this has made it a joy to reflect on the gospel through this this story. So, since you and I were last together before we met up in England here, what's different? Why did you write the part 2 adaptation? Why didn't you just leave it at part one? All I ever read was a revised version of the original Pilgrim's Progress to my kids. Many people don't know about part two or haven't read the original part two, even if they're familiar with part one. And part two, I think Bunyan's heart was to show that in part one, Christian was sort of a a solitary pilgrim on his journey. He had friends that came along the way, but he was pushing through much of the time on his own. But in part two, there's more of a group effort. There's a man named Greatheart who comes along, another named Standfast, who are just fantastic examples of the Christian life, of discipleship, of helping someone along to the celestial city. And another thing he did was show that the weak and the hurting and those who found it difficult to be a pilgrim were welcome in the kingdom, that they could join in the pilgrimage. So there's a man named Feeble Mind and Ready to Halt who are struggling, but longing and desiring. There's another man named Little Faith, but they're still on the journey. They're still on the path, even though they're not, in a sense, as brave or as valiant as Christian may have been. Tyler, you and I have traipsed around Bedfordshire, England, Elstow, Bedford, Hardigan, Hardigan, I can't say it right. What did we see that probably sparked an imaginative thought in Bunyan's mind to, to write Pilgrim's Progress? We saw a few wonderful sites that would re- relate back to Bunyan's day. One was the Market Square, where he would have seen tents set up and people selling all sorts of, of things. And that became what we would know as Vanity Fair in the Pilgrim's Progress. He actually invented that word, that term, Vanity Fair, didn't he? That's a Bunyan original. So the Elstow Moot Hall was kind of an old day shopping mall. And that's the area John, a young John Bunyan would have grown up. And that image must have stayed in his mind as he went on to write the Pilgrim's Progress. How about another place where... We were visiting. Yeah, we also saw the Houghton House, which was a mansion that was built on this beautiful hill and overlooks just pristine or what would have been pristine English countryside. And Bunyan would have walked along there as a tinker as he's going from house to house and seen this this mansion, which would have been such a contrast from his own living conditions. And he ended up viewing that as the Palace Beautiful in the book, which was a place where the king put for pilgrims to rest, to be encouraged. And it also related to his conversion, where he'd met these women who explained and helped him understand the gospel. Mm. And there's one place we couldn't see remains of, but remember walking across the bridge over the River Ouse? We didn't know this till we just kind of dusted off this ancient plaque and we saw it there. So there was another location. What, what, was, what was there? The Bedford Jail was right there, a stone's throw from where we were staying in the Swan Hotel. This 
beautiful, picturesque bridge with actual swans going under it, but it wouldn't have been so picturesque in Bunyan's days. There are some old pictures of John Bunyan looking through a large jail window and light coming through and him at a desk with lots of space, but the reality in the 17th century would the jail would have been dark and damp and he would have been packed in with other prisoners for all this, all these years. And, and yet in that time, he was able to grow, flourish, and write what has now impacted Christians for, for hundreds of years. We were walking through this countryside and then the town, it's maybe a city probably, Bedford, England. Was there anything else that just impacted you as you were reflecting back on John Bunyan, his storytelling, and your own storytelling through your adaptations? One of the surprising moments for me, I wasn't expecting it to have the biggest impact, was seeing a statue, a large, probably 20 foot tall or statue of John Bunyan standing at what is now a busy street corner. And these cars all driving by on the left side. On the wrong side of the road. <laughs> yes, on the wrong side, as we learned. And almost painfully a couple of times. <laughs> and... And seeing just people constantly passing by and even asking our waiter, do you know where the Bunyan statue is? Do you know who John Bunyan is? And he had no clue. And so thinking all these people driving past, but there's John Bunyan, his statue with a book in his hand, looking over this crowd of cars, this traffic as it passes by and thinking how he continues to speak. Though he's died, he continues to speak in a sense, preach to the world through his writings and particularly through the Pilgrim's Progress. And that encouraged me that the, the power of books to reach lives and to reach into homes and speak to hearts. And that excites me, the idea of Little Pilgrim's big journey going out to, to many homes, being read to children and them hearing the gospel, some for the first time and some in a fresh way. Wow, Tyler Van Haltren who has done this adaptation, parts one and parts two now of Little Pilgrim, Big Journey. Why don't we just pray for children and adults to get it? I fear too many people, too many of us are of maybe little faith. We don't get it today. Do you mind leading us in prayer right now? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this glorious call and the promise that you will be with us each step of the way on our heavenly journey. We thank you for your servants, like John Bunyan, who modeled this, who modeled these ideas that the, the bitter must come before the sweet, that we must suffer before entering into glory. And yet, what a prize waits ahead of us, Lord. Uh, we can't wait till the day that we do finish our race and we meet you face to face. And Lord, we pray that these truths would embed themselves into children's hearts as they begin their journeys to adults, some who have yet to come to the cross, some who have yet to see their burden released. And Lord, for those who are on the journey and feel discouraged, disheartened, feel weak, remind them that you are always with them. You are always near to help them, to send others, to help and encourage them, even as we live in a world that often seeks to tear us down, to make us stray from the path. Help us to stay on the narrow path with our eyes set, on your cross and on your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining me on today's episode of Great Stories with Charles Morris. And a special thanks 
to Tyler Van Haltren for joining me in England. I had such a great time with him, and I hope you did as well. And if you want to see a video of us following in John Bunyan's footsteps around Bedford, England, that's there at haventoday.org. And if you want volumes one and two of Tyler's Little Pilgrim's Big Journey, what a Christmas present this will be, then I want to encourage you to go to our website, make your gift to the ministry, and receive these cloth-bound children's books by mail as my thanks for your gift. Now, if you want to hear more contact like this, why don't you subscribe wherever you hear your podcasts? And if you enjoyed this episode, please help us get the word out. Leave us a five-star review. You can also go to haventoday.org and sign up for our weekly email and discover additional episodes posted on the blog. And as always, thank you for joining me once again on Great Stories with Charles Morris. Charles Morris.